Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey everybody, welcome to B2B Made Simple, marketing podcast for people that want to know more about B2B marketing and get better at it. Um, my awesome guest today is Jen Zapp. She's the Director of Marketing at Sasquatch. Jen, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. Um, before we were on air, you mentioned that you have listened to a couple episodes of the show. So you probably know that this question is coming, but I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. So I don't know what you listened to. If you had to choose tonight, you had two hours to yourself and you had to choose between watching a movie and a TV show, which direction would you go? Probably TV show, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. The flexibility. It's the flexibility of being Mm -hmm. able to, you know, determine how long I want to watch for, I think. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I've said it before, but I don't like committing. I, okay. I enjoy movies, but it's such a commitment to sit down for two hours uh, and if the movie starts to suck halfway between, you're already like invested. So it's just like, you know what, we got to keep going. Then you're just like, there goes two hours of my life. that I'll never get back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, I'm super excited to have you here. Uh, today we're going to be talking about like finding a marketing model for your company. Let's say you're new or you're, you're brought onto a team and you need to kind of determine what needs to be done. Um, so my first question for you is why is it okay for companies to deviate from common marketing models? There's a lot out there. Um, People say you have to do this, you have to do this, but why is it okay to be different? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I think that those models that are out there, I think first started when thought leadership became really, really important. And it was like, you need to establish yourself as an authority. And at first they were created by analyst firms Um, And then sort of anyone with a blog can kind of come up with a new marketing model. Um, And, you know, my background is in revenue operations, and I've seen a lot of these different models at various different um, scales of organizations, as well as, um, you know, organizations at different stages of maturity. And I just haven't seen a one size fits all that works for everyone. I, I think that's, you know, a lost cause trying to chase the perfect model um, that exists for every single use case. I um, just, the buyer journey is so complex in a lot of cases and each person has their own, um, you know, process through that. And so I think the more important thing is that, you know, you, um, you know, you really think about your business. Like every business is different in terms of the size of business, how many products that you offer, what markets you're going to market in, Um, your deal value, how long your sales cycle is. And so a lot of these companies that are putting out these common models, um, they're not the exact same blueprint um, as an organization as you are. And so I think that while they're a good starting point um, to try and sort of understand what exists out there, and you can use elements of those, I don't think you need to find the perfect model and like stick to that. I think you can be a bit more creative with that and sort of evolve it as you go. So I think some of the early arguments for using some of those models were, oh, it's a common language. Everyone sort of can, you know, understand this in the market. But 
I think it's not exactly accurate to think that everyone really understands marketing models very much. Mm -hmm. And so when you get people onto your team, you're going to have to teach them anyway. You're going to have to teach them all about the business um, and the model that you're operating with anyway. So I think there isn't a common language there. And so, um, yeah, you don't have to stick to a particular one. Um, and yeah, it's not a one size fits all approach in my opinion. It's really not. And it's good to keep in mind. And obviously this isn't really a marketing model, but more of an example is just because it worked for someone else doesn't mean that it will work for you. And an example of that is for example, LinkedIn, that's something that is I'm really passionate about. It's one way that we market our company, but that's because I know our buyers are there. So there could be a B2B SaaS company, for example, um, maybe they're selling into, they're a med tech company and they're selling software for um, physicians, right? Physicians might not be on LinkedIn, even though it's B2B. They're, they might be more in the Instagram, Facebook world. And just because I'm a B2B company, you're a B2B company and, and possibly LinkedIn worked for you, like it's worked for me, doesn't mean it will work for them. Even though they might be not shamed, but kind of pressured into, oh, you got to try this out. You just have to know what works for you and dig into it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Your channel mix for sure. And mm -hmm. you can get ideas from all of those things, but it doesn't mean you need to execute that word for word from whatever you found online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's back up a little bit. Uh, what are some like examples of like common marketing models? Like if someone is like, not really sure what you mean by that, what would be an example of a marketing model? Maybe that's been used for a long time that probably shouldn't be. Oh yeah. So of course the most, you know, common one, I guess that I feel like most people have heard of, but the funnel, um, and that kind of, or, or the, dis, uh, the demand waterfall essentially, mm -hmm. which is still in the same shape of a funnel. Um, it has like very, you know, key specific stages and it really is visually representing sort of the volume, um, of people that go through, um, really confined to leads. So, um, you know, at the top, there's your wider market. And as you're, you know, you have your conversion rates, the, the audience gets lower and lower towards closed one. And so that's, the traditional one. And I think that was, there's been so many iterations of that. There's even a, an account version of that that's come out. And I think a lot of people early on were really trying to follow that. Um, so yeah, around volumes and stages, but really specific to uh, prospects only. And I think it actually has like a pretty fatal flaw, which is that it stops at closed one and doesn't account for anything else in your brand ecosystem. It's mm -hmm. really just prospects and that's it. When the deal's closed, that funnel is over. So, um, but I think it, you know, it was, um, it stood a purpose at that point in time. I think people were trying to understand marketing a bit more, how it fits into the, the go-to-market process and be a bit more structured around that. So I definitely think it, it has, um, you know, its merits and it had its moments as well, but um, then of course, uh, there's the flywheel as well that a lot of people are talking about. And I actually, I like the analogy behind it. I like, you know, about momentum, um, and essentially it puts, you know, customers, um, you know, way more in the forefront and it's post-sale as well, which is a key component to the growth equation. So I absolutely think that that's a great addition, um, However, I also don't think it's exactly, um, you know, a circle either. The process isn't 
a complete circle. And so when we want to put out these new models and, and stuff, we're, we're trying to be really um, creative and smart about how we talk about them, but we kind of miss all of the other things that are going on and the detours of that process. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it has its merits as well, but I, I do think that those are, are meant to be a way to like think about marketing philosophically um, and really you know, get that um, ethos of what you want to do in your go-to-market teams. But I don't think that it's meant to be taken literally in terms of um, execution on every single one mm -hmm. of those things. So myself, especially, I'm very black and white where it's, if I see something in front of me, I, I like to follow it to the T, right? So someone gives an example on what's worked for them. I've taken notes and like, man, I have to execute this perfectly, just like they did it. So it'll work for me. What would be your advice to someone like me? Because I know I'm not the only one where maybe we want to follow one of these marketing models because that's what's worked in the past. But what would, again, what would you say to me to encourage um, my personality type to be okay to kind of mix and match and alter and, and kind of deviate and make it yours? So it actually starts with alignment. That's how you get to the model. Um, and so that kind of starts, starts out a lot of people, you know, I think make the mistake of declaring, this is the model we're going to go with. I've seen, um, executives do it. I've seen demand gen marketers do it and they're with good intention. Um, but I actually don't think that that's the way that you get to, um, you know, that change in the organization of, of really, um, focusing on a specific model. So I think you need to align with your go-to-market teams as a first and foremost thing. Um, if you're in a larger organization, I think that's your aligning with revenue operations. Um, I really think they um, should own the go-to-market model. Um, if you're in a smaller team, that's the direct go-to-market teams themselves and getting everyone on board because just being in marketing, you may not understand what you know stages are in the sales process or in the customer success process or in other go-to-market teams. Also, there's some in some companies, there's more go-to-market teams than just those three um, core ones. So I think it's bringing in all of those people to really align on it, really defining uh, the stages and getting something as a starting point not a lot of people like to just get something as a starting point. They want it to be perfect right off the bat. And I'm going to mm -hmm. tell you that it's not going to be perfect right off the bat. So I think, um, you know, you really need to align on your stages, your definitions, your, if there's a handoff between any of the teams, if there's SLAs, like, um, you know, amount of time that people should be, um, you know, following the process and, all of those things are really key to actually being able to define your model and then it will evolve from there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that totally makes sense. Focusing on alignment first. Um, what are some practical ways uh, on how we can kind of navigate that alignment and make sure that all teams are going the right direction? Yeah, so there is another sort of model that's that's talked about as well, which is like sort of the customer journey. Um, or sometimes referred to as a, as a life cycle. And I, I kind of like elements of that approach though. Again, it's not just the customer, it's everyone sort of in your, in your brand ecosystem. So I think that um, a good way to approach it is to work with um, each of those teams to really map out their piece of the process. And then once you kind of have those pieces um, defined, then you really need to focus in on, okay, how is this, 
how is this marketing team handing things off to sales and how is sales handing things off to CS? And, and so you really focus on the transitions and the handoffs. Um, and from there, you, um, you figure out your measurement because of course, uh, what's measured is actually going to win. That's what's gonna cause change in the organization. And, um, and then the process, each process is actually how you get those things measured. So you kind of need each of those pieces of the puzzle to actually get to a starting point for your model. And then you actually need to evolve that and revisit that um, at least every quarter, which not a lot of people are doing at all. So um, some, it's not set and forget it. It's, you Mm -hmm. know, especially if your business is growing really rapidly, you need to revisit that, you know, as quickly as you're thinking about revisiting your go-to-market strategy. So why should we be revisiting that? Uh, You said every quarter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you put in these definitions of these stages and you're tracking your conversion rates and that's a good starting point. Um, But it allows you to kind of go deep in terms of, um, you know, maybe we have a bottleneck at this specific stage or our conversion rates are dropping at this specific stage. What's happening? It allows you to investigate and make changes on your process. Um, and you should absolutely be doing that because you can always make it more efficient. The goal is to reduce sales cycles, of course, and increase velocity and increase your conversion, you know, to close one. So you want to continuously be looking at, you know, the ligaments between all of those different stages um, mm-hmm. and being able to improve that. Makes total sense. Um, you know, I see a lot of companies doing things exactly the same. For example, I saw um, <laughs> a, a popular podcast that I like to listen to. I saw someone else do literally the same name, just change up a couple words and then the same design on the podcast. Right. And it's, they're talking to the same people. And it's just like, you couldn't have put a little bit more thought into it. Like, I understand this is a cool podcast, but it was almost like an identical copy of it. Right. And it just happens. I see, I see it with websites. I see it with marketing in general, LinkedIn content. And I have been hundred percent guilty of it maybe some companies are putting out really good videos and I want to do it exactly the same way or some graphics. Um, and it, it happens, right? So what are some ways you've learned to like change up your marketing playbook uh, to help stay different? Because I think a lot of companies and marketing teams fall into that stagnant trap of trying to be like everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I think I follow like uh, quite a few playbooks. I like seeing what's out there. I like what people are, you know, new things that people are doing, but I would say we kind of take an approach of, you know, performance marketing with, uh, you know, in terms of like leak capture, demand capture. And we do a lot of like sort of the, the new age, um, you know, buyer centric marketing as well. That's more long-term and more demand creation. So we um, have a lot of freedom, you know, at Sasquatch to be able to try things and experiment. And um, we've always measured marketing by pipeline and close one, as opposed to leads at the very top, which is, which is great. Um, and, you know, MQL for us means specifically that someone's requested to speak to sales. It's not, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, scoring people and forcing them into a nurture program. And so we're, you know, we're really trying to focus on the experience and making the experience um, the best as it can possibly be. And, you know, coming from my background in revenue operations, I've 
purchased, implemented, and trained teams on dozens of different marketing technology products before. And so really trying to put yourself in the shoes of the buyer all the way through of like, um, you know, at each step, are we, are we doing this for ourselves and our internal processes? Or are we doing this for the buyer to make it easier for them to make a decision? And so that's how we've kind of done things to stay different. I think a lot of people talk about that, don't as much action it as it's talked about. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just like extremely happy to be in a scenario where I have the, the freedom and capability to be able to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple other things we do. I'd say like we don't over-focus on competitors either. So absolutely, we want to know everything that's going on in the market, how we fit in, how we differentiate. I'm not talking about that. I mean, at a tactical level, and I think this can happen a lot where it's like, oh, our competitors over here, or they're running these kind of ads and you want to copy that. And like, I don't want to be where all the competitors are. I want to be where they're not. And I want to like start that. And so that's how we kind of try and be different. Um, but we really focus on blending the experimental and anecdotal, because I think both those things are important. It's not all about the data and even in the models, you know, that I'm talking about. I think the anecdotal, like when you're talking to sales and they're like, this process isn't working for us, that's equally as important. So it's not, you know, going extremely rigid to the data, but um, it's blending anecdotal and experimental. And that's another thing we try and do to be different as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something that comes to mind for me is when you brought up like going 100% 180 from what other people are doing is for us in like the agency world, um, companies are relying on SEO and they have an outbound sales motion. And we made the decision that we're going to do neither. And so we don't do any outbound sales and we've focused maybe five minutes on SEO. Instead, our goal was to build demand gen through LinkedIn and a brand for ourselves. So when, you know, down the road, when people need us, they come to us. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are, to my knowledge that I've come across, there's like three to five other agencies that are doing that. And it's a total different direction than what everyone else is doing. But if we had gone the route where we try to rank on Google, we would have been drowning in competition. So right now it's open waters. And if you can identify what that is for your company, then go for it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so have you come across some best practices that really aren't best practices in marketing? I'm curious to see your, your thoughts on that, because again, a lot of people say stuff and then they either don't do it or it's like, yeah, that's kind of crappy advice. Yeah. Um, I think best practices can go like, they can go stale within a, a year sometimes, especially, um, I mean, there's full channel best practices where everyone's like, we need to be doing this, you know, this specific thing. And I think that that can actually um, slow you down as well. So especially with certain technologies, it's like, we really need, and I don't want to call out any, you know, specific ones, because they're all actually good. It's not, it's not that like, you know, one technology or one channel is bad, it's your approach to it. And so it's like, if you're trying to do all of those things, you're probably not doing any of them very well. And so I think it's really also important to say like, what are we not going to do? And it can be, it can be really hard when, you know, leadership or, or someone is saying, we need to be doing this. this is a best practice when you don't have the capacity actually to do it well. Um, so I think that, um, you know, 
isn't really a best practice to try and sp spread yourself over so many channels and doing them, you know, to, you know, half the capability that you really want. Um, then there's sort of within the channels. And I think those best practices are actually like the ones that go stale the quickest. So email best practices, just, it goes out the window so fast, you know, it's like only send between Tuesday and Thursday <laughs> at 10 AM. And then everyone's doing that. And then it's, you know, the time where people take to go through and unsubscribe from everything in their <laughs> inbox. And so I think <laughs> those uh, best practices aren't really best. I don't necessarily believe there is best practices in general. Um, I think you need to figure out what works for you. Like you mentioned in terms mm -hmm. of experimentation and figuring out like what works for you. Yeah. Take the advice if that's what you need to get started, but don't stop there. Um, experiment optimize it and if it's not working for you ditch it you know mm -hmm. and there's a couple other things as well and one common one that I'm seeing more now is that like volume 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 of your content is key or like I agree that consistency is key but I think that with what's going on right now and there's so much noise out there um, I actually think that that could hurt you in terms of your brand reputation if you are just continuously pumping out um, a bunch of noise that isn't really engaging people. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think that we're getting into the area where that could actually start to to hurt you um, as well. So I think there's a balance there. But yeah, um, find your best practices, not the best practices. Yeah, <laughs> would be what I'd say to that. <laughs> Something important to keep in mind, and it took me a little while to realize this, is if there is a best practice out there, you know, it's in quotes, um, there's a chance it actually could be really good for you. An example of that is YouTube would probably work great for us. Um, it obviously would take some time to get it rolling, but we've made the decision to focus on a podcast and LinkedIn organic solely because we can do those too well. And eventually we'll stack the growth in some other channel. Right. And I think it's like, it comes with a little bit of maturity as a marketer to know, yeah, that could actually do phenomenal for us, but we're not going to do it. We're going to stay focused on the course that we're on and down the road, we might stack it on what we're doing. Um, I just wanted to add that to, to what you were saying there, because it, it's something I learned a long time ago, but I'm super thankful that it, I finally got it ingrained. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think when I joined Sasquatch, I kind of looked at everything we were doing. We were doing a lot and I did actually kind of pare things down of like, we actually are way better to focus our energy on this thing, even though that's a great tactic to do eventually in the future, I want to come back to it. But right now um, it doesn't make sense to focus on there's opportunity costs really of mm -hmm. focusing on that there thing. Are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Well, let's move on to the final segment of the show, which is we're going to hand the mic to you and you become the podcast host for a few minutes here. Um, so this is your opportunity. If you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to spend a few here answering them for you. Awesome. I absolutely have questions for you. Um, you know, along the lines of, you know, experience, and I know that you have a lot of um, experience with websites. So I, I'm curious to know, like, what role should the website play in the overall experience? And what's the main goal of a company's website? Mm -hmm. um, 
So this is kind of my approach to this has slightly changed recently, and I've kind of learned how to explain it a little bit better. Um, the whole goal of a website is different for each company. And I think there's two buckets that you can fall into. And you need to identify where your buyers are in the journey when they land on your website. So the first scenario is you are doing SEO, um, you're doing uh, social media marketing, or you're driving traffic to the website and they don't know about your brand that much, right? Maybe they don't know much about your product and it's more of they came across you in one of those channels. Your website needs to do more heavy lifting when it comes to benefits, features, testimonials, and things like that. And you have to cram more into your homepage to make it hey, this is who we are. This is what value prop we offer. And that's where you see like a lot of the traditional feel of a website. And then the second bucket, like the second camp is, let's say your go-to-market strategy is more organic social. You are more brand driven. And therefore, when your buyers get to the website, they are 90% of the way sold. They're actually coming there because they want to book a demo, get on a call with sales, whatever it may be. And therefore, you can slim down your website, condense the content. You don't have to do as much selling. You're just making it easy for them to reach out. You're removing the friction that's there. So it just comes, you have to actually like assess wh which direction you're going as a company, what your marketing efforts are, and then tailor, tailor your website to that. So the more streamlined site is obviously um, for like, you know, brand. If you have like a really solid brand and people already know. And then if you're over in the camp of SEO and, uh, you know, paid advertising, maybe they don't know as much about you, you need to be a little bit more robust. So that's how I would approach it. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. In, in terms of friction, I really love that. I always want to reduce the friction as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that like everyone's doing wrong <laughs> in that area? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I, I've come across a lot is there's only one way to contact a company. A lot of times it's a form. Um, and as, as a consumer, going to a website and having to fill out a form can be just kind of annoying, especially if that's the only option. Um, so some ulterior uh, ways that you can accomplish that would be you can have a live chat. You can simply put a phone number just for people to get in touch if they need to. Um, even an email address to an AE or an SDR is helpful, right? And I get the argument, well, then you're going to get spam. Okay. It, if it may, if it reduces the friction for your buyer, buyer, like you're not going to get that much spam, right? Um, yeah. It can be worth it. So just giving some options um, for visitors on your website is a great way to go. And the one thing that I would mention is with like live chat, um, just make sure you have the manpower to actually handle it because no one wants to sit on uh, a live chat for two minutes waiting for someone to show up. Absolutely. 100% agree with that one. Um, I have some podcast questions for you too, as well. So as a podcast noob, um, also we're planning to sort of start a podcast soon. Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any advice for someone starting out and I'm most sort of curious in the areas of formats and how you name the thing. Um, mm -hmm. where do you start? <laughs> All right. So I will kind of walk you through our podcast strategy. So when it came to naming our show, we didn't name it the one click agency podcast because no one would ever listen to that. Um, we were industry specific 
And we went with a name, it's called B2B Made Simple. So obviously marketers know it's a B2B podcast. And then I believe the subtext, like there's a colon, then it says some more, which we recently added is uh, a marketing executive podcast, right? Um, so for B2B marketers or something like that, I can't remember it exactly. So we were ultra specific in the name and it tied into our audience. Because again, people are not looking for a podcast unless you're searching for the Apple podcast or the Jeff Bezos podcast a lot of times your name isn't going to carry a lot of value. Um, so just name it something that people are searching. That's rule number one. The second thing is as for format, there are a few different directions you can go. Um, the first one is a podcast like you and I are on right now, um, interview format. So you can go get ideal buyers to join you on the show. You can get people that are influential in the industry that your buyers would want to listen to. You can have them on the show. Um, and that's a great way. So that's, that's number one. Number two is you can do a, a solo show where let's say you have an executive in your company um, and they really know this is the key. They know the industry well and they can communicate to your buyer well and deliver a lot of value to your buyer well. They can host the show on their own and they can be, you know, that, that thought leadership vibe. The third option is you... Um, basically use it as like a repository for all kinds of content. So whether it's podcasts, your executives have been interviewed on, or if you guys do a live event, you record it and put it on the podcast, that's an option. Um, and the thing is, just like we've been talking about with these marketing models, there's no perfect way to do this. You can pick and choose from all of these and do it however you want. Um, but those are some ideas that I've seen executed really well. And if you can do a combination of all three of those, that's great as well. Um, but to start out, sometimes you want to pick a lane and maybe stick to the interview format or the thought leadership and then start to stack some other options on. Um, but that's how I would approach the podcast. And that's how we do it. Obviously, we're the interview um, format here. And then we also, uh, every once in a while, if I'm on a podcast, we'll reproduce it and put it on ours. And eventually, if we do live events, then, you know, we'll stick them on as well. So we're just consistently stacking. Yeah, that's really cool. I've noticed, you know, you've had a, a bunch of different formats. So I think it's really cool that you shake things up and those are great tips that I'll, I'll definitely take, take home. So. Yeah. Hopefully that it, did that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, it did for sure. It did. Um, and my last podcasting sort of question for you that I think a lot of people might be curious about is how do you actually be a good podcast guest? Mm. That's a good one. I don't know if I'm really that much of a, a good guest, but I'll give it my, my best shot. Uh, it's really just being good with the flow. Um, I think some of the best interviews I've had have been rabbit trails where we had a topic that we were going to talk about and we, we got stuck on one question and then totally de deviated and went a different direction because it's the natural flow of something we were excited about. Yeah. Um, so a great way to be a good, um, podcast guest is just be like, go with the punches and just go where the conversation takes you because that's what people are interested in. They're not interested in a scripted show where you come in and read your answers and you've done a phenomenal job today, just, you know, kind of going with the flow in the direction that we go. And I, that's why I like to mix it up and give you the opportunity to be a podcast host yourself. I know it's just for fun, but it just, that's what an example of just going with the flow. And that's what I see, uh, what separates a good episode from a great episode is just 
hey, we were just riffing and went down a topic that was <laughs> nothing we planned, but it turned out great. Yeah, that's awesome. And I got the full experience. So thank you for that. that (laughs) You got it. You got it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jen, it's been wonderful having you here on the show. Um, To close us out, I do always like to hear about the company you work for. So can you give us like the 30 second elevator pitch of, you know, what you guys are doing at Sasquatch? Sure. So Sasquatch is a customer advocacy platform. So we can power um, loyalty, referral, and rewards programs for all of your advocates in your brand ecosystem. So whether that's customers, employees, uh, partners, influencers, affiliates, um, you know, anyone that's referring you, um, we help you scale and track your word of mouth and take that to new heights. So um, if you're interested in that, come check us out. And yeah, that's, that's us. Awesome, Jen. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, This has been a lot of fun. I'm glad to know you're also, you know, vibing with the TV show direction instead of the movie direction. So (laughs) that's also fun to know as well. I appreciate you being here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. 